0: Well, we bring greetings to you again tonight. In the worthy name of Jesus. I have a feeling we're all a little tired. And I'm one of the all. (laughs) But God's strength is never failing. Ever notice that? I love what Annie Johnson Flint wrote many years ago. And you ever study her life, if you ever have an opportunity to study her life, I'd encourage you to do it. She wrote some of the most beautiful poetry we know. She wrote the the poem, God hath not promised, skies always blue, flowers pruned pathways all our lives through. I don't know the whole poem by heart. But one of the things she wrote when she, she wrote that I don't even know if I can remember the poem the title of the poem but it talks about the fact that when we get to the end of our resources God's our only beginning and even that is just for humans to get a hold of because how can somebody who has or one who has unlimited resource how does it even start it's unending So let's put our trust in him tonight. I will try not to keep you late tonight. Tonight, I'd like to just think briefly again, and I do thank you for your prayers. I I covet a continued interest in your prayers. Please pray that we would continue to experience what God wants us to. That's the essence. That's the bottom line. That's the sum total of what serving this, serving in this way, and, and coming together and you know, we need, to, we need to have hearts that are open to what God has for us. Thank you for that devotional, Brother Kevin. You know, Saul had a radical change of heart and mind. He was going one direction, concerned about something, and God got a hold of his life, and he headed the other direction, concerned about very different things. And I wonder where we're at. I'd like to think tonight a little bit about the verse in Matthew sixteen nineteen, briefly, where Jesus told Peter, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And think about it tonight, that, that Jesus told Peter that he's going to give him the keys of the kingdom. And tonight, I'd like to just think a little bit that keys denote commitment. That means we are here to build and not merely along for the ride, thinking not only of the present, but also of the future. You know what commitment is a very uh, diminishing word today it, it's it's I, I've watched it you've probably seen it here as well I've watched it at home commitment is something that seems to be failing and and people are committed but you know what they're committed to they're committed to their way and then it seems like when our way gets rearranged and and things get gets shuffled around, or something comes up that we weren't expecting, then we're kind of at the end of our commitment because we don't understand anymore. And friends, tonight I believe we need the commitment that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Or Timothy wrote, for the which cause, or Paul wrote to Timothy, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And friends, I, I'll tell you tonight, I believe we need commitment that goes so far beyond ourselves. It, it looks down the road and it says, you know what? Whatever comes up down the road, even if it doesn't suit me, and we live in a culture, we live in a time, we've been well-schooled, society will school us. And I'm afraid sometimes the church will school us too. There's, there's professing Christians, many professing Christians that their commitment just simply doesn't go far enough. And you know, where, you know how far the Apostle Paul's went? It didn't stop with, with saying, well, I'll serve as long as it makes sense or as long as things seem to be going well. No, he said he's persuaded that God is able to keep that which he's committed unto him against that day. There's still a future day coming that we will never, never be sorry that we have sold out for the kingdom of Jesus Christ We'll never be sorry. And I believe being a part of the kingdom of God involves that commitment. And it calls us over and over to remember what is really important in life. You know, I'm reminded of the little boy. Well, let me, let me back up just a little. You know, do we really believe that God has full right to rearrange things for us or do inconveniences and problems bring out revealing things in our life and character? And we want to talk about that a little bit later because I believe 2020 brought things that none of us here expected to see and I believe it brought things out in people that perhaps are very unfortunate and I I like to think tonight, I hope it brought out some very, very good things too where we saw people's commitment to the Lord Jesus. But I'm reminded of that little boy who was trying to grasp the fact of how big Jesus really is and yet he lives in our heart. And he comes to his daddy and said, but daddy... Doesn't he stick out? I wonder what sticks out in my life. Something does. There will be things that stick out in our life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and our brother shared this in the prayer, time before the service I was blessed because I thought you know what God took his mind the same direction he took mine but Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 say I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice and I'd like to think about these verses tonight because I believe it brings two of the most important elements together and soon we want to get into the message but he said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that perfect. And I thought I could get that, but it it, it goes on to say that ye may prove what is that perfect will of God. And tonight I'm convinced and I hope you're convinced too that to do the will of God we need a transformed mind that then comes out in the life of service. And you ask the question, well, how much do I need to surrender to the Lord Jesus? The answer is very clear right here. It says we're to surrender our whole being. And it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't say, well, you know what, if you can get there, it, it, says you might be, it, it doesn't say you might be able to get there, or it doesn't really make sense. It says that is your reasonable service. If you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, then I believe that is our reasonable service and we need to be building for the kingdom of God. Tonight I'd like to think about a message that I've entitled, Instilling Conviction in Principle and Practice. And turn with me to the book of James if you have your Bibles tonight. James chapter 2 verse 14. And I realize James is talking about two other words. We're, we're talking a lot, a lot tonight about principle and practice. James is talking about two other words, but I'd just like to pull a couple things from this passage, James chapter 2 verse 14. What doth it profit? My brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works with faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only." Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And tonight we're we're going to be talking about these two words, principle and practice, but I believe there's an age-old question here, and this question is still at play today where people say, well, no, faith is what's important. The Bible says we're saved by faith, and others say no, works is important. And you know what? I understand that Martin Luther would have wanted to remove the book of James from the canon of the Bible because it didn't line up with what he was understanding from Romans and things like that. He wanted to have it removed. But friends, tonight I don't think there's any reason to. I think it, it harmonizes perfectly because the Bible is so crystal clear. The two must work together. How many of you ever seen a body walk around that's dead? You've never seen it. I've never seen it. But if we would see it, we'd say, what is going on? But we separate faith and works and think we can come up with a godly person, and it is not possible. Because the fact is, when you have god godly faith, Bible faith, real faith, it will come out in works. It, the Bible could not be more clear in that. So let's, let's remember that as we go through these tonight. And I'd like to turn back to the Old Testament again tonight to Jeremiah chapter 35. And there's a fascinating story here. You're probably familiar with it. We're just going to simply pull some points out of that. Because I believe there are some challenges here tonight. As we think about ourselves and as we think about the fact that God has bought us. And we want him to work in our hearts. And we want him to give us a hope for the future. But we need to be building We need to be building. I'd like to read the whole of Jeremiah chapter 35. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go into the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Hebezaniah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igda, Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabite pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever." Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he has charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my words?" saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed, for unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, unto you rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. And I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them, and ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. But ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearken unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people hath not hearkened unto me. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring upon Judah, and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. And I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according unto all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. And I'd like to think just briefly tonight, we're just going to take, go back just a little bit in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 10 verse 29 and Judges 1 16. To tie this together a little bit, as we think about the Rechabites, Numbers chapter 10, verse 29. These are verses where we might just read over and not really think about what they're saying, but they do present us a little bit about where these people came from. And Moses said unto Hodab, verse 29, the son of Regul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And then we go, we we read about the fact that this was Moses' father-in-law. We go to Judges chapter 1, verse 16. Judges 1, 16. And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And there's also the verse in 1 Chronicles 2, 55. And the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, the Tirathites, the Shimeathites, and the Succothites, these are the Kenites that came out of Hemath, the father of the house of Rechab. These people were traveling with the people of Judah at one point and there's a connection there but I believe tonight what I want to what I want us to impress what I want to impress on our hearts with God's help tonight is the fact of, of some of these questions that come to us sometimes and I you know I'm I'm right there with these questions as a parent and and as a minister, as an ordained person, and and relating to school sometimes, but I believe it comes from grandparents, it comes from Sunday school teachers, it comes from employers, it comes from any place of responsibility. How do I instill conviction in the lives of those I teach? You know what, we read this story in Jeremiah 35, and if we don't do the timetable, we might not realize just how long this had been going on. But how many of you can, I'm sure none of us tonight can Can Go back 250 years and recall any events we know of that happened 250 years ago. Now, we've read about them. We could relate some of those, but 250 years. And I wonder if we could somehow ask ReCab or Jonadab to come speak to us today, what words of wisdom would they give us? Because, friends, tonight somehow... As children of God, as people that God has bought with a price, we cannot have a focus of just building for now, or we're not going to leave things for others to build with. It's proven itself over and over. You may disagree with me tonight. You may say, well, every generation has to somehow figure it out for themselves, and that is partially true. But is it not true when we fail in our generation? It always shows up in drastic ways in future generations. I'm not here tonight to so much focus the message on these points that they were given. They were told to drink no wine. They were told not to build houses. But I'd like to focus it on the fact that they were told some things. And for year after year after year after generation after generation after generation, they held these things dear. And it's almost like God says, come here, I'd like to show you something. I'd like to consider five points tonight. And there's that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where it says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world, are co- world is come, world are come. And tonight I believe here's another example for us. And I'd like to consider five points from here. And the first one is that each generation must have personal convictions or the flame will go out. And again, you can disagree with me, but it's been proven over and over again. If I don't have any vision of building for the future, there's a flame that goes out, and it makes it very difficult. Many of us have family situations, family experiences we can relate to. I have it in my own family, where I saw where a family member made some choices that I I wish to this day so badly they wouldn't have made these choices, but now they're showing up in future generations. And it happens over and over and over. We must have a zeal to build the way God wants us to build in our generation. And if I look correctly, the only other time we find this Jonadab or Jehonadab, as he's referred to mentioned, is in Second Kings chapter 10 verse 15, when he comes up to when Jehu came to him in his zeal to rid the land of all the prophets, he asked Jehonadab to join him, and I can't help but think, you know you've probably read about Jehu, how he 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 rode furiously and he was on he was it seemed like he had a lot of zeal in some ways but i believe here was two men coming together the one was a wholehearted man the one was a halfhearted man and i wonder tonight where we are are we wholehearted or halfhearted very very critical and i'm not sure again i don't know how much time has elapsed i think it's around 240 to 250 years and I think back over my short lifetime, last night somebody reminded me that I talked about two different time periods and gave away my age, which I don't mind doing at all, but I'm 45 years old. And if that's, that's about 20% of what was going on in this story that we look at here tonight. About 20% of it. And I think about all the things I've seen from back when I was young to now. And I wonder what I'll see in the next years if the Lord tarries. But I've seen where our nature and our laziness, and I'm speaking to myself, how often have I failed? But I've seen a troubling pattern where it seems like people have a zeal and you can, you can relate to this in the church or in business. People have a zeal. They maybe came out of some trouble. They maybe came out of some things that were unfortunate. And they had to realize what their convictions are. They had to realize where they stand. And oncoming generations have so little connection to that zeal. So little connection to that conviction. And it almost seems like what the previous generation worked for or, or took so seriously and, and, and held so precious And I know sometimes we hold things seriously and hold things precious that we shouldn't. But there are spiritual things that are so important. And sometimes they're very lightly thrown away. Where are we at tonight? And I've watched it. You probably have too. I've watched groups that, in Ohio, I've watched a group that came out of a setting because of something. And within about two generations, Some of those people are right back in the things, right back in the sinful practices that they came out of this group for. They're right back in those sinful practices. And I ask why. I ask why. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, I'd like to read those verses. I believe personal zeal has so much to do, and we need zeal. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved, in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. We're going to go on and read a couple more verses. Verse 5, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. I believe Solomon is encouraging us here. We need to pay attention, and we need to build with wisdom. And I don't know if you've seen what I've seen, but how many times have we? I've probably done it in my own life where somebody did this, and this is how it ended up. But I think, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm sure it'll end up differently for me. Will it? Solomon said it very clearly, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding, get understanding, and in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 35, verse 6, they said, "But, but they said, we will drink no wine, now listen, you think about what Jonadab was doing here. For Jonadab the son of Rechab our father commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine. And he stopped there. No, he didn't stop there. Neither ye nor your sons forever. He said, Neither ye nor your sons forever. Now think about it. Now we're 240 to 250 years down the road. What if somewhere along the way somebody would have said, you know what, Jonadab couldn't have meant for us to take that literally. We're going to keep the spirit of it, but surely he didn't mean for us to take that literally. You know what would have happened? I don't think we have to guess very long what would have happened. In 50 years, much less 250. Number two, it is very important. So personal zeal, I believe, is very, very important. Number two, it is very important to understand the principles behind what we do. And I wonder tonight, how good are we at that? And, and you know what? I, maybe I hesitate to say that. How much have we prayed and asked God to help us in that? God's word makes it very clear that we're not to be fearful when we're asked these things in, in perhaps dangerous or, or or uncomfortable situations because the Holy Spirit will give us the words. But I wonder how often we've asked God to empower us. And we've spent time studying. We've spent time trying to understand. And, and I wonder what would happen. I'm just going to bring it practical tonight. What, what happens if someone comes and asks us, why don't you go to war? Why don't you practice things that are mind-altering such as alcohol, tobacco, drugs, etc.? Why don't you believe in suing? Why do you believe separation is to be practical in every area of life? What's wrong with wrong music? What about the thrust toward entertainment? And you could put many other things in that list tonight. I understand that. But make it practical. And I believe it's important that we understand the principles, not just the practice. You know what? If I know that I'm not going to sue somebody, but somebody comes and asks me why I wouldn't and I have no answers, I believe it's, it's perhaps a disgrace to God. And I wonder how well we've sought to know the principles behind the applications. First Peter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter makes it so clear that we're, we're to be ready to give an answer to every man that comes and asks us. And friends, tonight convictions will usually not be passed on if we're not doing them wholeheartedly. I believe if we're doing something just kind of half-hearted, haphazard, going through the motions, playing as it were, we probably will not pass it on. And Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 11, as we think about this fact that it's important to understand the principles... You look at Jeremiah 35, verse 11. The text we read there came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. And friends, this was a crisis point. They were concerned. They didn't know what was going to happen. So they come to Jerusalem and they ask for help. And they're taken in. They're given shelter. They're going to be given help here. And I would think that it probably would have been a pretty easy time to say you know what these people have been so kind to us what if we offend them but God says let me show you something and he uses it in a, as an object lesson They could have very easily compromised. And they could have, you know, if if they had the mindset we so often have, they could have said, well, surely this is okay. I mean, we're, we're at a crisis point here. And there's a question that comes to me in that. At crisis points, and we've all had them. In fact, we probably had more in 2020 than we'd care to admit. I wonder what my children, those looking on, see in my life. Do, my, do they see my faith being strengthened or faltering? And I wonder how many people tonight, and this kind of grips me because I'm, af- I'm afraid it's one of the negatives that's come out of what happened in 2020 when it seemed like nobody knew what normal was anymore. And how many people today that maybe they had kind of a haphazard, view of church attendance and and view of the importance of brotherhood, view of the importance of working together and meeting together, maybe things still haven't come back to normal. Maybe it's been kind of a convenient time to, you know what, I think we'll just kind of do our thing. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I believe crisis times are times when convictions can be effectively strengthened or they can be torn down. And I believe we need a right mindset because the way we respond to crisis and difficulty have eternal implications. We're all gonna face it, probably more than we care to think, and it might get much worse, I don't know. Number three, do we understand that principle that finds no practice will soon be lost? Principle that finds no practice will soon be lost. The no wine, the no houses, but rather tents, no vineyards, were intended to be reminders of the principles they represented. They were intended to be reminders of the principles that they represented. And I wonder how well we've done at that. And tonight I'd like to just think about a couple of verses that speak to us about who we are in Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Tonight I find such a challenge in these people of the Rechabites because they, became, they came to a people here. They came to the people of Judah. And God says, here, I want to show you a lesson. He goes on to explain, you know what? These people were told by their father to do something for a specific reason, and they have obeyed him for all these years, for these 250 years. Now you said wine before them, and they said, no, we're not going to drink that wine. And look at the testimony that is. And yet I've told you to do this. I've told you to do that. And there's more verses I plan to read here, but 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we're a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a peculiar people. Why? So that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's Bible, friends. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's not not to bring glory or attention to us. It's the fact that we can, through our life, through our testimony, remember that verse from Romans chapter 12, where it talks about the fact that we need a transformed mind, and we need to let that come out in the life with, with lives and bodies that are surrendered to the Lord Jesus, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Second Corinthians chapter four verse nine. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, tonight, do we get the picture? Do we get the New Testament picture of God? What God wants to do? Perhaps at times He'd like to use us. Failing though we be, and friends, tonight I understand that. I have made so many mistakes. I have failed so often. So often I've had to fall down and ask God to forgive me. I understand that so well. But are there times he'd like to use us to show somebody that here is somebody that loves Jesus? I wonder. One of the biblical meanings of the word grace We've talked about grace some this week, but one of the biblical meanings of the word grace is the divine divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. What is my life reflecting? Is my life reflecting the fact that God has had much grace on me, much patience with me? And the principles in our heart, I believe, will reflect in our life. I believe they will reflect in our life. What principles are we standing for? Remember the words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. It starts right there. It starts with the fact that we might talk more about family tomorrow morning, Lord willing, but it starts right there where these words that if you're going to take these things on to others, if you're going to teach them to others, if you're going to stress to them the importance, it has to start right here. know, we're all human, we're all normal. I'm just as normal as you are. But why is it that we so often find it so easy to talk about earthly things? You come up and strike a conversation, strike up a conversation with me about printing and trust me, I can go on for an hour without trying hard. What if you come up and ask me, could you tell me about the hope that lies in you? Could you tell me what Jesus Christ has done for you? Could you tell me why you live? I'm sure there are people here tonight, probably plenty of people, if I'd ask for a raising of hands of how many of you have ever been asked, how many of you ladies have ever been asked, what's that on your head? Us men are probably a lot slower to get asked, and sometimes that's a little troubling to me because we'd like to kind of blend in. Maybe it's for very wrong, carnal reasons. But how often have we gotten asked about the hope that lies in us? And if the Bible's so clear that God wants to use that to minister to a hurting and a dying world, why isn't it happening more? I ask myself the question, Deuteronomy goes on there and it talks about teaching. It talks about teaching when we walk, when we sit, when we lie all the time. And it says that we're to write them upon the posts of our house. Write on our heart that these things are to be written on our heart. These things are are supposed to be a part of us. And I wonder what this story in Jeremiah chapter 35 would be like. They would have said, we still believe in the principles, but the practice is not important. Think about it tonight. Do you think God would have said, I'd like to show you something. Bring those people in here. And they would have said wine before them, and they'd have been there sipping and saying, now we believe in the principle of not drinking wine. And then they'd go on sipping. I'm afraid sometimes we do that. I've heard people that stress up and down, we still believe in the principle of modesty, and I wonder, do they? And I've heard people say, we still believe in the principle of separation, and sometimes it troubles me because it it seems like the more we go away from it, the more we need to talk about to ensure people, I know it doesn't look like it, but we still believe in the principle. And I believe tonight that enduring principles must find expression in our life. And I know we're not all gonna draw the lines at the same place, I fully understand that. But I believe enduring principles must find expression Number four, a complaining spirit will hinder and destroy the attempt to instill conviction. How far short do you think, how far short of 250 years do you think this message would have fallen if it would have come from a complaining spirit? Remember the little girl that. How was it? She was told to stand in the corner because she was doing something. I I wish I could get the whole story, but the essence of the story was I might look like I'm doing this, but I'm still doing this on the inside. You ever done that? Do you think others have ever heard us say, "This this is so ridiculous? But you know what, that's what they say, so I guess that's what we have to do. You think it would have made 250 years? I don't think so at all. If our children sense an attitude of we're only doing this because we have to, do not expect them to willingly do it or even do it at all. The children of Israel, I wonder how many times God referred to them as a murmuring people. And I had a minister tell me years ago. He said, "We like to tell people that we're the all things people." He said, "Yes, that's right. The New Testament says that we're to do all things without murmuring and complaining." Now, I think the other passage in Matthew is just as important, where Jesus said that we're to go teach other nations and we're, go to, we're to go teach people, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. But there's another verse in the New Testament that says, "Do all things without murmuring." and complaining. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And That verse in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Murmurings has the idea of grumbling, grudging, not with joy, but because I have to. And you know what? It's so easy to enter into life and to think that's, that's okay. You know what? I'm still doing the same thing in the end, so that must be okay. And I ask you the question tonight, how are we going to pass things on that are important if we're doing it and complaining? You farmers here tonight, if your sons wake up every day and you're talking to them about how difficult farming is, and it's really, you know what, it's just you can barely make a living and, and they just hear you constantly complain. Do you think they're going to grow up and say, Boy, I'd love to be same thing comes into the church. If our children are hearing us murmur and complain about the church in our homes, do you think they're going to have a big desire to enter in? Maybe to enter in on the fringes, but what about entering in and being builders? And I believe God wants us to have a different way of looking at things, to instill a thankfulness in our children. And you know what, mothers, and I, I know I've, I've picked on fathers and you know because that's what I am, and that's kind of the things I relate to, but Psalm Psalm 139, 113 verse 9 talks about the fact of joyful mothers of children, and trust me, we've had seven children. I know motherhood is not always naturally joyful. I understand that. There's diapers, and there's wails and crying, and there's... Maybe a flower bucket upset on the floor. I understand that. And I know there's going to be times of struggle. But I think still the the Bible picture comes through here that that there's supposed to be joyful mothers of children because daughters are coming on. And one day they're going to face the same thing. And you know what? What? I have this strong, strong feeling if we could somehow get a message from Rechab and Jonadab, if we'd say, what was one of the keys? They'd say, you know what? We tried to take joy in doing it. We didn't tell our sons, you know what? I don't know know why this dumb law got passed on to us. And you know, it's not... You know what? They would have never made it. I believe they had joy. And number five, and it goes closely with that call for joyfulness, or call for not murmuring and complaining. Number five, instilling conviction calls for patience. You know what? They were building with something way down the road in mind. And I know patience, it's probably a word that's disappearing today along with the word commitment. We talked about commitment earlier, but instilling conviction calls for patience. For whatsoever things, Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And friends, tonight I just want to encourage you. I'm here to encourage you, and this is in different areas of life, whether it's in church building, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whatever it may be, that it takes time, but keep building, keep teaching, keep persevering. Good things take time. Good things do not come about with, and you know, I know how it works today, and I can have the same kind of mindset in my life. Well, I've been trying it for two months, and I haven't even seen any changes. You know what? God calls us to try over and over and over. If something is valuable to us, if we have something that we'd like others to catch or others to, to take and, and to go on with it and, and something to be valuable in their life, I believe it calls for a consistent faithfulness and a patience. Isaiah 28 talks about the fact that it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Be satisfied when it, it maybe it looks like you've tried and tried and tried and all that's happened is a little bit of ground gain. Be satisfied with that and keep building. Keep trying to pass these convictions or, or, or show others that they are important. Very, very important, and it takes time. In Jeremiah 35 here in this chapter we read, I'd like to just think briefly, and this is in closing. I have sent also unto you my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man, and think about the sadness tonight. Think about the fact that God himself was working with these people. He was, he was rising up early, and that's probably just for us to understand it, that he was diligent. He did his part. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. They told these people things to do, and the, the Bible says these people have rejected him. They rejected the prophets when Jesus came on the scene. He talked about the fact that you rejected our fathers, the prophets, and now you're rejecting me. He talked about that fact. And I wonder tonight, why is it that we want to throw away the good things that we have? Did they not realize the blessings that they had? Why is it that you hear of people in other countries, other lands, other U.S. communities... That, that they see what we have, and there's times they, they come in and, and they'd like to have some of that. They, they want that spiritual heritage. They want a place that, that where people love the Lord and people are serving the Lord, and why is it sometimes we'd like to just throw it away? Are we ever like the children of Israel? where we throw things away that we later wish we could get back. I wonder. And I'd like to just read these three verses here because it spells out the two sides very, very clearly. Very clearly. Tomorrow night probably we'll talk about some about eternity. I don't know. But think about this fact people are divided into two groups the people here are very clearly divided there's there's the punishment there's the blessing it still works like that today there's punishment for this there's blessing for this and we need to desire god's way verse 17 says therefore thus saith the lord god of hosts the god of israel behold i will bring upon judah and upon all the inhabitants of jerusalem we talked the other night about the fact that judah was being more faithful they had a zeal But, friends, somewhere along the line, they lost out so much and and went so far. Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard, and I have called unto them, but they have not answered. Friends, tonight it's serious business. When God calls, we need to answer. We can be so busy. We can be busy with our own things, our own motives, trying to go our own way. But when God calls, we need to answer. And he goes on there. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according unto all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me. What do we want tonight? I don't think there's any doubt. We want the blessings. And God calls us to live the life. To build. To build not just thinking about me. Not just thinking about today or tomorrow or next week. But to build considering eternity. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven tonight... We thank you for this story of the Rechabites. We thank you for the fact that you have instructed us clearly in your word that these things are written for our examples. Lord, help us to take example. And when you speak to us, help us to be faithful and careful to listen, and to apply things the way you would have us to, and to live the way you would have us to, and help us to live considering not only ourselves, but those coming on in the future. Lord, help us to be faithful, and I pray that in this group tonight, you know all the things we're involved in. You know the things that that are dear to us. Lord, help us to to have a faith that will be passed on to others, even though they have to, to take it on themselves personally. It's something very personal, but help us to do our part and to be faithful to build the way you want us to. We love you, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray.